Hi, I'm Lisa Morton, founder of Roland Dransfield PR. Welcome to We Built This City. With this podcast, I wanted to shine a light on the people who have put the heart into modern Manchester. You can build a city with bricks and mortar, but it's the people that make Manchester great. People like my guest, Krish Patel. I went into Manchester and I saw all these homeless people and I was like, what's wrong? What's wrong with either them or the society? And I saw these homeless people as people. Homeless person, wrong way around. Person who is homeless. Krish is the founder of Tales to Inspire, a website, a podcast and a book in which people tell their stories of overcoming adversity. Krish hopes those tales might inspire you. Born in Bolton, Krish faced racism in his journey to professional football. He got signed aged 18, then dropped a year later due to injury. He experienced depression, then came back from that to carry out challenges like running four marathons in four days and swimming all the lakes in the Lake District to raise money for charity. Chris says every person has a story and so many a tale to inspire. So let's hear his. Welcome to We Built This City, Chris. Oh, thank you so much for having me on, Lisa. Thank you. I'm a bit nervous because you've got your own podcast and it's amazing and you can give me some tips. Well, it's a judgment-free zone. <laughs> judgment-free zone. So you're getting, yeah, I'll give you, well, I'm, I'm, I'm actually here for the tips. So um got my pen and paper ready. Well, we've established the fact that you think I sound really mark and I think you sound very Bolton. So let's see how we go on that. So your work and your podcast has been on my radar for a while. And I reckon that you're as interested in people's stories as I am. So this should be really great podcast today. You're born and bred Greater Mancunian, born in Bolton, but you've done your fair share of exporting those Manc characteristics and personality around the world. So we'll talk about that as well. But first of all, I was really struck by the fact that you had your light bulb moment when you were talking to a man who'd found himself homeless. So what did he say to you and what did that create in you at the time? So that light bulb moment, I've had a few in my time. They don't come often. Um, and when they do, it's like, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> um, but this homeless person in Manchester said to me that stories are the pages that make up this book we call life. Now, usually I run a homeless outreach group. We're out every Wednesday, Brew Power. Um, so if someone said that, usually I'd be like, right, he said that. And I'd be like, all right, guys, let's move on. He's chatting. Like, let's carry on. But stories are the pages that make up this book we call life. Boom. Everyone has a story. How do we use those stories to encourage people to never give up was my thing. And that really transformed my whole direction. I was seeking something. I was seeking a direction for my life. And that gave me everything. And realising, you know what? Stories are life. And that's where the light bulb moment came for me, really. And did that lead on to your project Tales to Inspire straight after that? Yeah, so that was in 2019 of October. Uh, Within three weeks, yeah, November the 3rd, I created TalesToInspire.com. Um, so I was literally seeking so much. Got a friend who was homeless, Danny, who works with the incredible Invisible Manchester. And um, they give city tour guides of their city centre through the eyes of a homeless person. He was homeless for five years and basically overcame it, got his story, put it on TalesToInspire.com. And I was like, let's see. I sent it to my mum to edit it. Aww. And then she gave me back and then I basically posted it out. And I was like, let's see what happens. Within one day, a young lady who was going to kill herself read Danny's story. She felt encouraged wrote me a message and said she got help via one of the uh, helplines we put at the end of every tale. And then within three days, Danny's story had been read in 15 countries around the world. And I was like, maybe there's something to this storytelling Mm. stuff. 
right. incredible. Yeah. And your mum edits. Well, she doesn't edit. Well, I give anymore. her a few. She works full time, so I've given <laughs> right. it my best mates, my yeah. anyone who knows. Like yeah. I've, I've basically sent them a tale to edit. I'm not an English major at all. I struggle with my own name, kind of thing. <laughs> so basically, I get I figured it out, and I'm still figuring it out. I've got a determination. That's it, and that determination will take me as many places as I want it to go. And I really feel if we can have determinations, we can transform our own world. Well, I'm binging your podcast at the moment and and that is a message that comes through every single one. So they're incredibly uplifting and we'll get to that. But I think we should start at the beginning to understand why this piece of work is so much of you and to why your kind of your entire life really has brought you to this point because of the, the, the obstacles you face personally. So, yeah, well, it does all start from my story. And I think that's one of the most important things is realising every single person has one. Now, my story started in Bolton. I always represent Bolton, um, so I'm always like, <laughs> any football fans, you're looking yes. for a club or want to get involved in sport, Bolton Wanderers is your team, we're looking for places. Probably in Manchester, there's enough teams there anyway, isn't there? So, and, but four years old, my first memories on this earth were me playing football. That is it, in the back street, in Bolton, I wanted to be a footballer. You'd catch those dandelions you know, that come in the summer and you catch yeah. them and you make a wish. And yeah. You blow it away. Mine was, oh, oh I want to be a professional footballer. I want to be world famous playing for Bolton Wanderers. Now, I know those don't really match, like Bolton Wanderers are world famous, <laughs> but that's kind of what I wanted to be. But at five years old, I would get told that packies don't belong on football fields. You should be playing cricket and go and play with your own tribe. Um, to the extent that at the age of seven, eight years old, I wished I was white. Now, my mum's English, blonde hair, blue eyes. I was so angry that I didn't look like my mum. Like, I didn't tell anyone this, but I was so frustrated. Like, why couldn't I fit in to everyone I knew? So, yeah, and I was also really chubby. So it got to the extent that nine, ten years old, I remember going to a teacher and the teacher saying to all the class, what do you want to dream of? You can be anything. She went around the whole class. People like astronauts, pilots, all this, nurses, doctors. And I was like, miss, I want to be a professional footballer. She was like, maybe you should have a plan B. And it was like, not even believing in, no. I'm 10 years old, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I guess that all made me work my ass off. <laughs> like, made me work, I'd prove you. And I didn't tell anyone about this racism until I was 27, so two years ago, because I thought it would be an excuse. 23 years old, 24, I don't want to tell anyone about that because, oh, you was racially abused. No, I don't want, that's an excuse. I've worked my ass off to get to where I need to get to. So I'm going to really, but at 27, I realised, you know what? There's so many injustices still happening. Even if you look at Asian footballers, the percentage of footballers, it's just like under 1% who are Asian. And actually, there's like 8% within our society. I never played against another person who looked like me. Really? And that's mind-blowing. Gosh. And even just this week, obviously, you know, Premier League are, are doing a social media blackout, aren't they, mm -hmm. for racism. We do some work with Kick It Out, so it's just things don't seem to have changed very much at all. But those figures are staggering. It really is. And I speak to um, BBC Radio Manchester and I speak to the PFA about it. But there's a thing, we talk about equality. And if I treat you equally, that's great. But a mother looking after a sick child would concentrate extra on that sick child. The other kids of that mother wouldn't say, you know what, oh no, you're, you're concentrating too much on the sick child. So you need to focus. If there's a, a category or whatever you want to call it, a culture of people that are struggling, focus on them yeah. extra. But because we say, oh, no, we're going to treat everyone equally, that's crap. You cannot treat everyone equally. Some people need more care to get them to the point when you can treat them equally. Yeah. And that's where, for me, when I stopped playing football, when I got released as a professional, where was my care? 
I needed extra help yeah. so I could represent the Asian community and show other children that they can do it. Um, but it never happened. So at 18, I became a professional footballer against all the odds. I played for a team, Berry FC, so great in Manchester yeah. again. Um, I was in League Two and thought I'd made it. I have to caveat all of this. Girls, cars, money, all the superficial <laughs> stuff is what I cared about. Like, I didn't have any of it, but that's what <laughs> right. I cared about, right? Yeah. Um, but I've always been trying to fit in. So if I've been trying to fit in, football is my identity. What does football come with? It comes with girls, cars, money, all that kind of stuff. So that was me, 18, professional footballer. And yeah, really went in from, I got my pro contract. My gaffer was great. I loved it. I got into the pre-season. I got injured. First game of pre-season down in Wrexham in Wales. I got injured and I was out for three months, came back, injured exactly the same, out for another three months. And I went from not even recognising myself as a footballer. My self-doubt, my confidence had completely gone. And I, I lost I lost everything to the extent that I remember being on the football field and saying, please don't, like in my head, don't give me the ball, don't give me the ball. Because you'd so, lost so much confidence. Yeah, I'd lost, but who could I go to? At Bury, at football, I was trying to be this macho man. You can't, where's, it's a, you can't show weakness. At home, I'd never talked about those kind of things. So these emotions, I'd never had. So I just locked them all in. Started to go to the casino every day. I'd go to the physio in the morning, 12 o'clock every day, Monday to Friday, in the casino in Bolton, playing poker. Not even wasting big money, but wasting time. To the extent that I would get in my car and I would drive with no destination. And I would do that often. And that was kind of how my life was. I had no foundation, no direction. I'd stopped school when I was 16. All my friends were at university. I had no direction, no meaning, no nothing. And I felt so lost. I just remember feeling so lost, angry, frustrated, just down. Now, now I know that I was, it was big signs of depression yeah. at that time. Did you think at the time that you had a responsibility to be successful, not just for you, but for your family and your friends and the community? Because you do hear, don't you, of young footballers who the pressure is on them so much to be successful that they carry that responsibility with them too? Yes, in terms of, yeah, I did. But I built that. What do we do as humans? Who are you? What do you do? Who am I? Chris Patel. What do you do? I play football. I'm a professional footballer. And that is dangerous. Yeah. So dangerous because my identity is what I do. Now, what if you do something that you don't like? Does that become you? And I go into schools often now and I speak about dreams. I had one dream. When my dream stopped, I was lost. So how can you have more than one dream? You could be the best at something that you never tried. I could be the best scuba diver in the world. I could die when I'm 50 and I would have been the best ever. But I would just never have known because I never tried it. So it's really, you can dream about anything. But I feel like sometimes we're a bit closed off about our dreams. Do you know then that teacher that said to you, you could do with having a plan B? In a way, do you feel that the delivery was wrong, but the, the suggestion was right potentially? Are you saying there when you're coaching young people now that you ask them to have several dreams? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So actually from the teacher's perspective, great. Don't put me down in front of 20 other kids. And you didn't say that about the astronaut. So why are you saying that about me? But we should have as many things as possible. And we should be, we can, we can, we can. Because actually I spoke to, I was with some uh, children yesterday and they were saying, oh, I'm an engineer. And now I'm starting to do cricket because I'm trying to fit in. And like, well, you're trying to fit in with the children who are around you. No one wants to be an engineer. He's trying to fit into everything. And actually, no, there's thousands of kids like you around the world who want to be just like you. 
but you now stopping yourself from being you. Um, and we're going into, I didn't think I'd be going into this, but it's like, how can you be you? And we don't really get taught that. At school, I got taught, get a job, earn as much money as possible so I can live happily with a family and be comfortable. So that's like, that's what I was taught as a kid. Massive pressure. Massive. So I speak to people, they finish university or college, no job, no money, no relationship, not married. So they feel suicidal, they're harming themselves. Why is that? Because that's what we're producing. Like success is an external thing. However, that's rubbish. Absolute rubbish. Like, and we're so judgmental and we're trying to be successful and this is where social media can be really unhealthy. Yeah, so it's all about the internal way for me. And I think just on that point about young people, I've just started as a volunteer. I'm a big sister as of today. So I'm in a programme called Girls Out Loud, Big Sister, Little Sister. So I just met my little sister this morning at a school in Salford and the girls are kind of 13, 14 years old and they're the middle girls. So they're the girls that aren't getting loads of attention for being naughty or subversive and they're not getting a lot of attention for being very clever and academic. And these are the middle girls who sometimes get missed out on. And we had the first half an hour chat this morning and um, that was the overriding thing for me is the fact that they don't know how to dream and the other thing is that they want to fit in more than anything else. So it's that trying to encourage those young people that they don't have to fit in and that they can be themselves and helping them to discover that as part of the journey. So important and life-changing if you can get that right at a young age. Yeah, it's systematic. As our parents, oh, my child's going to be a... Yeah. Like, that is automatically getting them to fit into a box. And actually, you're a child. Like, you can be anything. So, like, and for me now, I'm trying not put myself in box boxes at all. And it scares the crap out of me, actually, because I know how unhappy I was when I was in a box, even though that box was professional football. And I put myself in this, and then it was earn as much money as possible to be happy. But... I'm still sticking myself in a box. The reason is, why am I? That's a, a constant journey for you. You're always asking that question and that feels to me it's like your purpose. So the work that you're doing is brilliant because you're not settled and you're still asking yourself that question. Obviously, after you'd been dropped from football, you then went to the States then, didn't you? Yeah. You could tell us about that, but did you feel that was also going into a, a box as such? I hadn't had this light bulb moment as we talk about it. So I was still the same Krish I cared about. I never went to, wanted to go to America. I wanted to play in the Premier League. I wanted to be a footballer here. I wanted to have the girls, the cars, the money, the big house. So when I went to America, I was still in that frame of mind. Got released from Bury at 19. I was, couldn't get a club. And I was so angry and frustrated. I only had GCSEs, no college. I was like, what am I going to do myself? What am I going to do? Couldn't get a trial anywhere. And I was like, right. And I got an email from a, from a college in the US, close to the beach, living in a mansion, full-ride scholarship, great facilities, and obviously girls' cars money. I don't even think I... Like American Pie was like the picture <laughs> in my head, and I no. didn't close the door behind me. I was like, mum, dad, cheerio, California, that way, I'm off. And I turn up in California, and it quickly I quickly realised it wasn't what I wanted it to be. Um, now, I was living in a three-bedroom house with 13 guys, I was 12 hours away from the beach. It was minus 20 degrees in the winter. 55 players for a 23-man team. Didn't have a scholarship. And our nearest town was two hours away, which was Reno. So that was like, we went there once every six weeks. So our, our day trip was Walmart. 
So, I, a year ago, I was playing against Manchester United. I was playing against Paul Scholes. I was playing against Manchester City. I'm living my dream. Now I'm in Susanville, California. And I'm like, what has my life come to? And I was furious. Absolutely furious. Anger's my state. So get to something, anger, boom, I flip my switch. And thankfully, people don't know that anymore because hopefully I'm working on that. But that is my boom, anger. Um, and there was a guy in our team, a guy called Gabby. Now, Gabby was always happy, always happy. And he was always like, bro, never give up. He pissed me right off. <laughs> like, he was too happy. Like, what's he got to be happy about? He wasn't in the starting team. He was living in a basement and he hardly spoke any English. Like, what's the, is this guy's like head in the clouds? I was furious. And um, I said to Gabby, I literally said to him, Gabby, stay away from me. You're too happy. And one day I said to Gabby, I'm, I'm going back to Bolton. Screw this. I'm going back to Bolton. And he said to me, if you keep running away from your obstacles, you'll never overcome anything in your life. Another lightful moment. And as much as I hated it to come from his mouth, he was completely right. I ran away from my struggles in Bolton. And now I was in California, I was having my struggles. Running away again. Was I just going to keep running away from everything in my life? And lots of us do this. We just don't know we're doing it. And that was my, that was what I'd already, like, that's what I'd always done. It's all right. I can go a different direction. But actually, was I ever going to face those things that were within me? It's a complete reflection of what exists within. And um, he took me under his wing. And he saw the potential in me when I didn't even see the potential in me. Like if I, I didn't even see it, but he saw it in me. So he spoke to the potential of Krish Patel. He didn't speak to Krish Patel. He spoke to the best that I could be. And that was like the best thing in the world. It wasn't someone saying you can't be something. It was someone saying you will be something. And it was amazing. He also... Um, Do you like him then? Uh, he's one of my besties now. <laughs> like One of my besties. He's in, he's in Rio. And, but I speak to him probably every other week. He also introduced me to Buddhism. So Nietzsche and Buddhism. So I would consider myself the least religious person in the world before this. And he said, come to a Buddhist meeting. I was like, screw your Buddha, screw God, screw all this. Like, I'm proper like Northern. I like, don't care about religion, all that kind of stuff. And he said, free food. And I was like, student. I'm thinking, no money. I'm thinking, oh, I'll come for your free food. And they talked about solutions and not problems. They talked about life. It was a space to talk about life and how you get through it. And I'd never done that. Never. I just lived it. And it re really gave me a moment to look back. And now I have this foundation through Nietzsche and Buddhism that's actually said, you know what? Once you build a foundation for your life, watch how tall that tree is going to grow. Um, it's pretty incredible. Really important. But basically... 2016, graduated with a degree in business, and it all been about me. And this is where I started doing the things that Gabby did for me, for others. Seeing the potential in others. And it made me feel great. The girls, the cars, the money, yeah, it was all right, but nothing compared to this feeling. And um, I realised I'm like, you can Facebook message someone across the world. Why can't I help someone across the world? Simple theory. 2016, I was 24. My idea was... Graduate, I'm going to run four marathons in four days from the northwest of England to the northeast, coast to coast. I call it the Road to Uganda campaign. And I'd go to Uganda and I'd build something sustainable. Now, a few things about this. People were like, you're going to run four marathons in four days. Like, oh, are you a runner? 
Nope. Never ran a marathon <laughs> oh, before. Really? Like, never ran a marathon, never done anything like that. Um, if there's a ball involved, I'll run. But usually football, 8K max. Um, so train for it. Um, other things, have you been to Africa before? Nope, never been to Africa. Okay, so you're going to, you're running marathons and you're going to Africa. They say, like, oh, where's the money going to, Chris, that we're donating? And I'd say, got an answer. Something sustainable. And they were like, what does that even mean? Is, like, where's, like, what is that? So I had, and I was like, well, it's going to something sustainable. How can I know if I've never been to Africa before? <laughs> so in 20, what, 2016, 2017, January, so I just turned 25, ran four marathons in four days. Four days later, went to Uganda, started volunteering with women's empowerment, homeless children and orphanage, with disabled children, coaching football, teaching. And it opened my eyes to a world that I didn't know existed. It was one of the best things that ever happened to me. I got out there and these these children and these kids and like homeless, four years old, like four years old and you're homeless. But the potential of these children or the potential of these people, I viewed the world differently now. So I'm not I'm not willing in the suffering. Like I'm not staying in that suffering that everyone goes, oh no, pitying. Screw the being a victim. Look at your potential. And that's what I'm speaking to. So basically from there, I, I ended up building a schoolhouse that educates to this day 150 children every single term. And went to go back to America in 2018 and couldn't get in the country. My job was there, my car was there, my, my last six years of my life. And uh, yeah, ended up back in Bolton, mum and dad's crappy yellow sofa and uh, lost, absolutely lost. Why could you not get back into America? Um, their reason was I didn't have a, a mortgage, enough money or a, a marriage to come back to in the UK. So they thought I was a high risk to remain in the US, even though I'd been there for the last six years, paid my taxes, done everything, got my degree there. Um, so I was furious with everyone. Once again, anger. I applied for over 250 jobs back in Bolton. Couldn't get a job. Couldn't even get an interview. And I started working at Starbucks, serving people coffee um, in 2018. And I remember questioning I look back in my diary now and I question life a lot, you know? Um, what's my reason for being here? Like, am I just wasting everything? Like, how pathetic am I? Like, I definitely question my reason for being on this earth a lot. I wasn't happy. But I went into, the, into Manchester around that same time and I saw all these homeless people. And that's where I had my light bulb moment. And it was about three or four months later. No, actually, before that, it was... 2018, sorry, and uh, I went into Manchester and I saw all these homeless people and I was like, what's wrong? What's wrong with either them or the society? This And Manchester in 2018, homeless people everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. And I, I maybe I didn't realise it because I was in the US. It may have existed before or maybe I just Nothing, wasn't no, open think to it. That period you're away, there was a massive proliferation of homeless people. Yeah, sleeping. and it was, it was huge. And I was, so I started to ask myself, like, what can I do? Like, is there a friend I have who does an outreach program? I was going to help out. And I had a friend who has an outreach program, Jen Bobs. And I was like, any chance I can, uh, any chance I can jump on one of your outreach programs? And I saw these homeless people as people. Homeless person, wrong way around. Person who is homeless. Absolutely right. And I was fascinated, honestly. Um, I now run that homeless outreach group route every single week. But I've been abused for helping homeless people. Chris, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. If they're not willing to help themselves, um, what's the point in helping them? You're adding to the problem. They're the vermin of society. 
I've had it all, even friends and family. And also, you're wasting your time, Krish. And I've seen homeless people, people coming out of office blocks in the Manchester City Centre, spitting at homeless people, abusing me, um, kicking them. And it was like, I saw a gap between homeless people and the society that walks past them. And I was like, I think January of 2019, someone said to me, Chris, you're wasting your time. You need to get a proper job, earn as much money as possible. And that was just like the ignition. Girls, fast cars, cash again. Yeah. Mm. And I was like, watch this. Yeah. Like, watch this. <laughs> like, wasting your time. Watch what I do. 53 miles. I'm going to swim every lake in the Lake District. Never swam outside before. Call it the Swim for Shelter campaign. And, and basically my tagline would be helping homeless people go from the streets back to their feet. And people were like, you're crazy. You never swam outside before. My auntie calls me a social swimmer. You like the jacuzzi, the, the steam, oh, the hot the tub. Sauna. Like yeah. all that kind of stuff, right? And not so much the actual <laughs> Getting the pool swimming side of it. <laughs> so I started swimming. I managed to get myself a job as an admin at the University of Manchester. Still wasn't me behind a computer desk all day. And um, basically, over the summer of 2019, I swam 53 miles, all the lakes in the Lake District. Absolutely kicked my ass. Um, physically, like, even to this day, my left shoulder's still not right. But mentally, my granddad died the day before I swam Crumock Water. Yeah. Um, and I remember going to grandma, like, don't worry, grandma, I'm not going to swim it. And she was like, you better swim it. I was like, you are. And she was like, granddad would have wanted you to. So goggles full of tears. Uh, swam Crumock Water. I think it was a five, four or five mile swim. And then before I swam Ulls Water, the second longest lake in the lakes, I think a week before, 10 days before, a friend of mine, Bassi from Iceland, had a brain tumour and passed away. And he was 24 at the time. And I remember crying my eyes out. And I was like, I told Bassi after I did these swims, I was going to visit him. So what do I do? I've got to swim 7.7 miles on a Saturday. I was like, screw it. 36 hour journey to get to Iceland. I was going backwards to go forwards because it was last minute. Turned up, no one spoke English. I was the only one, spent 12 hours in Iceland, 36 hours to get back. Then four days later, I swam 7.7 miles. And it comes to your reason why. My reason why was so powerful. Like, like nothing was going to stop me. But I have to caveat this, that when I finished my challenges, at the end of September the 8th, I swam Lake Windermere, 11.7 miles. It's only 10 and a half miles. I just can't swim in a straight line. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like zigzagging everywhere, like bloody hell, I make it harder for myself. <laughs> Um, and September, I was, I always, I work towards something. It's something really important. You work towards a goal at work or at home. September the 8th, the goal, because I knew that was the day. September the 9th still exists. I always forget about that. I put everything into September the 8th, my whole six months working towards it. But what do I do on September the 9th? Once again, I've got no goal. I'm lost. I have no idea what I'm doing in my life. And all those emotions come back. I need to, so now I know that I need to think long, more long term. I ended up helping 36 homeless people go from the streets into an employment program with the Booth Centre in Manchester, a great charity. And messages from all over the world, you're incredible, you're inspiring, you're wonderful. I didn't feel it. Honestly, um, I was going to work every day in Manchester. I had the same amount of money at the start of the month than I did at the end of the month. Once again, I can't keep doing these crazy challenges to make me feel good. So that's when um, I went out into the streets and I came across the homeless person. I now know as my reason for living is transformation. The reason for life is to transform. So am I willing to transform? Now I, this is coming from the guy who never wanted to leave Bolton, wanted to be a professional footballer, knew which direction he was going. It was like the M6 and that was it. Like now my reason is for transformation 
That means the best way to do it, throw myself into new things. Obstacles are opportunities. Now, I'm not saying be daft, but guess what? The best way to develop is to do that. I agree. I think we're kind of programmed through life, aren't we, to avoid the pain and avoid the obstacles and keep ourselves safe. In actual fact, the obstacles, when you grow, you learn through the obstacles, you stretch, don't you? And though they might be painful at the time, that's where you kick on with your life, don't you? Which is, you know, what you're saying that you've done. But being open to it. Being open to it is so important. Um, because if you're closed off to it, and I get it, if you have family and kids and that kind of stuff, but I know my, my sister works in palliative care and a lot of people I speak to, I've spoke to a lot of people at end of life and... When they get to that point, there's nothing worse than getting to that point and not living the life you wanted to have lived. And that is so sad. That youthful spirit exists in each and every single one of us. Are you willing to ignite that youthful spirit? And that's where, once again, seeing that potential. We all have our own engines. My job is, to, and that's why Tales to Inspire exists, is can I help encourage that ignition, that spark, for you to ignite your own engine. This isn't, oh, look what Chris did. How great is he? This is, Chris has just ignited my engine. Now you do it in your own beautiful, unique way. And that's where everything is. And yeah, the action is where the fear can be because if you start and you get it wrong, people think then they're embarrassed or they feel vulnerable. So it's the the starting bit. Tom Bloxham was on a, a podcast not long ago and he said that, you know, if you're not making decisions you're not moving on. So the action's really important. really is. Mm. But it's hard. Like mm. you said, it is so hard. Like when I started Tales to Inspire, I remember my dad saying to me, uh, how are you going to earn money? And I, I quit my job in 2020. Uh, so I was going full-time Tales to Inspire. And he was like, how are you going to earn money, Krish? I was like, no idea. Yeah, but you need to be able to earn a living to live. And I was like, don't, don't put that on me now, dad. Like, I don't want to hear that. Don't put me in that box because then that's fear and I'm making a decision out of fear. And then I would never have done my passion. I would have stayed in my nine till five and been unhappy. I just had to go and do it and watch what happens. Like, and once you go for that, you'll survive. The people on your podcast, they are incredible and they've been through so many obstacles and so many challenges. Do you find that, that inspires you every week. Do you feel that you learn through their experiences? Is that kind of part of the whole richness of this project for you as well? Yeah. So the podcast wasn't even a, a thought no. in my mind. Mm. Um, it was always a blog. It was always, I interview the people and I write it down, give it to my mum or someone I know, and then they give it back and I post it. But I was realising that when I was interviewing these people, I'd be crying. I'd be laughing. I'd be going on this journey with them. And I was like holy crap, like how do I get that to people? And then people like podcast. And I was like, we'll put that to the back. It's just me. I'm not, I'm not tech savvy. I'm winging it from, like, from the hip. I'm like, and I was avoiding it, avoiding it, avoiding it. And then it got to a point where it was like, how can I make, I was waking up every day. How can I make a more meaningful impact in this world? Yeah, and those people, that's why the podcast now inspires people at 29 countries around the world. Our stories have been read in 94 countries around the world. Um, I'm still... I, I honestly making money has been the hardest thing because I felt guilt. Chris, it's a charity or it, it's, well, it's not a charity. It was a business. I've, I've registered as a business. We applied to be a social enterprise waiting for that to come back. But I felt guilty to making money to help people or encourage people. 
And now I realise, so the first year of Tales to Inspire, zero pounds I earned. I basically hustled my ass off with another job to try and earn enough money to do Tales to Inspire. Then I realised, like, what am I doing? If you're helping people, you should get paid more. Like, but in my head, charity's always been do good and you do it for free. I was like, if I'm trying to encourage people to be the best that they can be, like, I've got to make this sustainable. And that's where I became the author of the Tales from Inspire book. And through the book, it was on BBC and ITV. And then schools got in touch, like, oh, what educational package did you offer? And I was like, I don't offer an educational package kind of thing. I was like, don't know. Um, so the whole of Christmas, I was creating an educational package, ready to launch it in January. Lockdown came. I was like, so I literally made, I was at Christmas day off. Um, well, I say Christmas day off before like 10 o'clock I was in my office and after like eight o'clock I was in my office doing all of this, got ready to go, lockdown came. So I was like, oh man, so what else can I do? So then corporate offices, right. Can I get into corporate offices? Can I do something? Helping people connect to people via the power of their own stories. That's why I'm a storyteller. I can help people do that. And then adversity and resilience. Like, right. Let's do that. Can't get into corporate offices. And still to this day, I, it's really hard for me to get into corporate. I'd love if I had an in to get into corporate offices and deliver the workshops, I would inspire a crap ton of people. And I know it, but they'd ask, oh yeah, but where have you been? Well, I'm at the very beginning of my journey. So I've got that, that, and then so I've got the corporate side, I've got the, the podcast side, I've got the schools and education, which we delivered our first one last week, which is great in person. Um, and I was mind blown. Yeah. So cool. It's yeah. so cool. And such a really important time, isn't it? I mean, oh. a lot of children of, of, of young people have missed a lot of stuff in the past 12 months, haven't they? So I think it's and resilience mm-hmm. um, is more important than ever. Oh. And understanding obstacles and how you how you embrace them rather than avoid them. Yeah, completely. And I went into school, so last Thursday I went into this school in Bolton and um, I asked them to put five dreams down. The first thing, the first task I asked, can you put five dreams down on paper? The most amount that anyone put was two. And usually they were be rich or um, basically be a, a doctor or a footballer or something like that. And that was me, except I didn't have, I, I just had the football, um, basically. But by the end of that, I was like, five dreams. You're not leaving here without five dreams. And by the end, they all had five dreams. And it's like, how do you start to realize that this life is is so vast? It's so vast. You can be anything. For some reason, we put ourselves, all I know is Bolton. And so I'm just going to know what I'm, all I know is Bolton. So I'm just going to be Bolton. Like, and that's why travel is really important, or at least culture. Um, And I think within the workplace, once again, like, guys, you've got an absolute diamond in front of you. Why don't you nurture that diamond? Polish it. Let it be the best diamond it can be. It'll help you. Instead of closing it off, fit in to this culture. Screw that. You've got a culture. They can come into that. But where are you going to let that person blossom? Um, so it's so important. And we've got a couple of Kickstarters who started with and they're absolutely incredible and we're just letting them fly and letting them teach us stuff because the working environment is so different now post-COVID. I think it's actually easier to do that than having that very formal structure where everyone's in the, their own desk all day and that's where the apprentice sits. So hopefully we'll see some improvements there. But I think the educational package is amazing. And you just got to keep putting stuff out there. If you don't put it out there with the commercial goal, I think it's, doing the good stuff it brings those commercial opportunities to you doesn't yeah. it that's what I focus on honestly yeah. I don't focus on oh, people be like I've got a business advisor now and he's like oh yeah how many people did you like that's just not me mm. like I'm not gonna I'm not a salesperson. 
as much as my mum thinks that I could sell Santa with Arabs <laughs> or whatever, like, no, that's not my my direction. My purpose isn't to do that. Like, only when it's right, like, can I... But it's still the hard bit is that always the money bit with me. Personally, it's not the ignition that really makes me go. It's the the cause. Mm-hmm. Um, and I we, we concentrate so many on the effects. Yeah. Just put the causes out there, and this is where we can go into your values later. Put the causes in there, and the trees are going to grow. Talking about values, that yours were cars, girls, and money at the time, which is probably a lot of young men's values and goals. But your works and centers turned into very deep purpose and deep values. So, mm. what would you say they are for you now? I mean, what motivates you? What moves you every day? Um, what moves me every day? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> I remember as a kid, at six years old. Oh, seven years old, people would knock on my door. i say, Chris, do you want to play out? Sunday morning, 7am, mm. parents would be furious. <laughs> and I remember just being ready for the adventure that awaits. Yeah. And I just didn't know what was going to happen. Mum and dad are always going to be furious. Usually my mum, furious at night time, past tea time, past bedtime, and I turn back up, mm. right? And she's furious, what have you been doing? All this kind of stuff. You missed your lunch, you missed your tea. And I just had the biggest, best adventure in my entire life. And then I was going to do it again the next day, especially in the summer holidays. That's what I live for now. Mm. That I live for those human-to-human connections. Next values that you talk about is friendship. Yeah, Friendship is everything. Everything. True friendship is based on trust. Trust has to be the foundation of everything. Mm. One of Roland Dransfield's values is walk a mile in another's shoes. And That's I think, one, yeah. is that yours? Is I've that got f- three of them, yeah. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. Well, I just, I, mean, like, well, like, I had to think, I had to, I was sure that'd be one of yours. Yeah. So, so why? So, oh, well, I mean, we know why, because you do that and all your stories show that, don't they? On through the podcast and the book. Yeah. But the thing is, walk a mile in another's shoes, empathy. Yeah. We live in a society that doesn't have empathy. I shared a, t- a tale of um, Jenny. Now, Jenny was a asylum seeker from uh, DRC from Congo. In, he came in 2005. He had to flee for his life. And in 2020, he was 14 years an asylum seeker waiting for asylum. Um, be granted, he couldn't go back to Congo because um, his life was in danger. So he was just in a house. He was homeless for six years here in, in England. And then he was in a house for the rest of it. And I released his tale. And people messaged me saying, we don't want to hear stories like that. We don't feel um, that's got anything to do with our life and that's not connected to us. So don't share stories of such suffering. And I was like, what? Like, how does that? And that's why I want, what I want to do with Tales to Inspire is bring in the Tales to Inspire guests that we've had. Now we've had over 50, 60 guests, take them into schools, share their stories. And actually that will automatically ignite emotion. Hmm. That emotion makes me, oh man, that's what it must have felt like to do what Fegan went, what Fegan went through, yeah. or what Medea went through, and all these different things. Oh wow, she what? She didn't leave her home for fourteen years because she was depressed. Ooh, that and these are the emotions. You make it real, and I think that's so important. <laughs> so true. So what else is there on the list that you liked on the values? Um, so there was the trees. Mm. So grow as many trees as possible. Mm. Plant and, trees will never see. Plant trees yeah. you'll never see. And Will Smith um, recently talked about this on Jay Shetty's podcast on purpose. And he talked about, no, don't be a hunter, be a farmer. Yeah. A hunter's there for a day. A farmer's there to nurture something mm. forever. Now, I'm still trying to figure this out because I'm not a, great, not a great farmer. I'm good at igniting people, but I'm not the best at nurturing people to be where they need to be. But I'm trying to plant those seeds, whether it's young kids or whether it's really old people, 
to ignite that spark that, you know what, even if I don't see it now, it's not for me sometimes to nurture it. Plant the seeds, make the cause, the effects will happen at their own time when they're open. So that was one of them. The trees. um, The other one was loyalty always. Mm. Boom. Loyalty is everything. Yeah. Like if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. Mm. Now, trust is really interesting. Are you the type of person to give 100% of your trust and then that person take the trust down? Or are you the type of person to give 0% of your trust and they've got to build that trust up? Mm. Both are equally fine. Just got to know who you are so then you don't start judging others for doing it. Um, so true. So I'm the complete opposite to my mum. I'm 100% of the trust. Mm. I'll give it you and then you take it away. Then that's it. That's me too. But my mum's like... Everyone, doubt everyone or other people are like, doubt everyone, they got to build it up. And in a business environment, that makes a lot of sense. It's hard though. It's so hard because you never get anywhere. No. Um, There's not a lot of love going around there in my view. For me, I'd yeah. rather get hurt by somebody or let down by somebody, but have given them that and learn from that than the other way around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But neither's right, neither's wrong, is it? Neither, neither's right, neither's wrong, but leaders are the most important. And we live in a society full of leaders who have never lived what the people they're leading. They've never lived that life. Mm. So they don't have the empathy. Yeah. So how can you have a leader in a business who hasn't gone through those struggles? That's why I say right now, go through the struggles so you can relate to the people. Like, it's so important. So, so important. Mm. And that's another reason why we've got to develop children to go through it. So when they get in that situation that they have a business, they're in the government, when that backhander comes, which is going to come, are they going to do the right thing? Or are they going to say, you know what? Yeah, okay, I'll do the backhander. Mm -hmm. And it's not even they know what's happening. It's just that they turn their head the other way. So they don't need, so they let it happen. And that's not on them. It's the fact that they don't have a foundation. Yeah, They don't know who they are and they don't have that foundation of the respect and dignity of life. It's so true that build values and help young people to really understand the values because then they have boundaries, don't they? It mm-hmm. keeps them safe. It protects them. And you say fast forward to a situation like that that you'd find yourself in in your career mm-hmm. where you're going to say yes or no to the backhander and it's the stuff that you've learned by the people around you and your own journey, isn't it, to that point that makes you make the right decision in that situation. Yeah. It's fascinating. So on that, I'm going to do a quick fire with you, Chris. <laughs> let's do this. So let's do this one. And um, right, well, we know this. I think I know this actually. Football team. Bolton Wanderers. Yeah. Three things that make you proud to be a mank. The people mm-hmm. and the honesty and the banter. Yeah. <laughs> the banter. Yeah, definitely not the weather. I'm not allowed to say that word at home. My kids are 20 and 22 and they just, it's there, they, they're just, get embarrassed if I say the word banter. I've, I've known it for a long time. Um, what place inspires you in Greater Manchester? What place inspires me in Greater Manchester? Um, you know what? When I go out on the streets, in, mm. on Wednesday evenings, when you find me out on the streets in Manchester and I'm speaking to these homeless people, like that is my... I go out for homeless people, but realistically they're helping me more than I'm helping them. So I'd say the people on the streets... Um, yeah, it's not really a place. It's definitely the people. And so my next question was, who inspires you in Greater Manchester? So Yeah, well, yeah. Home, yeah homeless people and children as well. Yeah. And um, children within our schools that I, I work with. So they're the main two, yeah. And lastly, given what you've overcome and what you've seen guests on Tales to Inspire deal with, what would you say to somebody who is facing obstacles right now and, and just can't see a way around them? 
oh, that's tough. It really is. Um, reach out. Just reach out. Yeah. Like sometimes you need someone and that's it. I can say never give up, but actually never give up on what? If it's not the right thing for you, then give up. <laughs> Definitely. Like, you know what I mean? Like then, then literally give up and go in a new direction, but reach out and from someone you trust, who's not going to judge, like reach out to someone you need and then go from there mm. and get what you need. Cause it's, so much burden on yourself. I know it's not too quick fire. Sorry, sorry about that. Lisa. That's not. I don't need a quick fire at the end. That's really important. It's so true. And know when to give up because I think that's a life lesson, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You hang on to something for absolutely years and it's not serving you. Yeah. Just lastly, then, um, it's interesting because we talk about purpose, but I think some people find it overwhelming because they feel guilty that they don't know what their purpose is. So it stops people, it makes people feel that they are, aren't enlightened. So I try and say to people, if you live each day purposefully, mm-hmm. ultimately you might find the purpose, you might not, but at least you are feeling that you are open to those opportunities. Do you see what I mean with that? Because there's a real burden with, have I found my purpose? Mm-hmm. And if you've not, does that mean that you're not very good? When, and that's so. I, when I'm in that time... I'm so frustrated. Mm. I feel helpless. I feel angry. I feel vulnerable. Mm. But then I realized purpose exists. Imagine like a diamond underground. Purpose is underground. How are you going to do it? The only way to get there is take action. Get a spade and start digging. (laughs) That means you've got to take action in your life. So the only way to find the diamond that exists already in your life, your mission, as religions talk about it, isn't given to you all that rubbish. Like you have it. It's your mission, it's your purpose, it's your diamond. So get that spade, start digging and do something. (laughs) And you're literally going to start to find so many different purposes and different reasons for living. But if you're just going to theorise, no, I don't know what my purpose is, and you're going to be a victim, well, then guess what? You're never going to know what your purpose is. I'd rather tick the box and like cross them off of a thousand purposes I couldn't do and wasn't me, and then still never know, than actually never have tried. So the key is take action. Take action. Just give it a Always. go. Always. Just take action. <laughs> Everything is about taking action in life. Number one. Oh, it's brilliant. Thank you so much for joining me on We Built The City. And um, I would urge everybody to listen to the podcast. It's an absolute binger. Once you start, you're just going to keep walking and walking until you've, you've got through the series. Um, and everything's so uplifting and humbling um, and motivating. So, you know, thank you for joining and thank you for doing the work that you're doing because, you know, it's an amazing and important piece of work and I think as many people should listen to it as possible. So thanks a lot. Thank you so much. Honestly, (laughs) you're amazing as well for for giving me this opportunity and for giving the voice to people that don't always have the voice to speak to people. Um, So thank you and um, you're amazing. You're welcome. Let's follow each other's journeys on this. Let's do it. (laughs) Thanks, Chris. Cheers. Krish Patel helped to build this city by refusing to be put in a box, by helping young people to dream big, and by grabbing a spade and digging for diamonds. We Build This City is out every Thursday when you'll hear from another incredible Greater Mancunian. If you want to find more out about Roland Dransel PR and you'd like some help in creating your legacy, please head to rdpr.co.uk for more information or give us a call on the same number we've had for 24 years 0161 236 1122. Thank you and see you next time.